0: In my experience, a lot of the times, like learning Chinese has provoked either dread or like a sense of, I should do this, but I don't want to, or I should do this, but I don't have time. And I kind of wanted to associate it with something positive that you're looking forward to. It might not be, you know, a complete curriculum, but it'll be a companion there for you as you travel along your journey.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Shades of Yellow. I'm your host, Summer. If this is your first time listening, Shades of Yellow is a podcast series where we feature inspiring overseas Chinese who are passionately promoting a deeper understanding of Chinese culture, bridging cultural gaps, and supporting the Chinese communities around the world. When I discovered Panda Cup Stories on Instagram, I fell in love with it immediately. There's something about this webcomic series that brings me joy every time I read it. And that got me really curious about the person behind the characters and the stories. And so in this episode, I speak with Linda E, the creator of Panda Cup Stories. Linda calls herself an ABC-ish writer and artist. Originally from Chengdu, Linda moved to the States when she was about four years old. But it wasn't until the summer before college when she realized that she had lost her connection to the Chinese language. And that eventually led her on a journey of relearning and teaching the Chinese language and its culture. Linda shares her inspiration behind Panda Cup stories. She also shares the challenges and the path of finding her own voice, especially working as a solo artist. We also talk about how she's able to apply her learnings during her master's degree in children's literature in teaching Chinese language, both for children, but also for adults. I hope you enjoy this episode.
0: I had half of my childhood in Ellicott City, Maryland, where there was a very big Asian and Chinese American population. So that's where, you know, I was forced into Chinese school. Um, a lot of my friends were Chinese Americans in elementary and middle school. And then when I was in eighth grade, uh, my family moved to Augusta, Georgia, which is much less diverse and I was like probably one of six Asian kids in my grade, three of whom were Chinese. So that's kind of where I started distancing myself a lot from the language and culture. According to my mom, I was a very chatty toddler. So I spoke a lot of Mandarin before moving to the States, but she was like, I lost All of that within half a year and she's like oh now we're stuck in the states we can't go back
1: why do you think that is now you know looking back
0: i do not have many memories from when i was four and i think that's quite typical but there's like just one super ingrained memory i have i think this is like the first apartment complex that we moved into when we were in maryland and i think i was like sitting on the stairwell and i just remember this group of like big kids and they surrounded me and started talking to me i was super scared i had no idea what they were saying and the only words I remember knowing were yes and no. So I just like kept trying to say yes and no at random times, like hoping that they would go away Um, and then they didn't go away. And then I like ran away and like hid in my bedroom. So I think like that was a very stressful and I think discombobulating experience, especially since I remembered reveling kind of in the mastery I had in words. Um, I picked up English very quickly, and I think I very quickly also started to refuse to speak Chinese. I think it's more when it's a minority language and speaking it puts you like sort of as a social outcast, which like it doesn't, but it does.
1: It's very common to lose touch with the Chinese language and Chinese culture, right? Because it's not necessary for you to succeed in school or in society. How would you describe the shift and the change in your perception towards Chinese language?
0: I think when I was super small, like I didn't think through it. It's just something like I did less of. And my parents actually, to their like credit, sent me back to China for summer vacations when I was in elementary school. So those three months in China really helped. I connected with my cousins. It would be like a big group of Chinese kids, like chaperoned by one parent. When I was like four-year-old up to seventh grade. It was my last year in Maryland. I think it was already sort of like uncool to speak Chinese and learn Chinese. The Saturday morning Chinese schools, I think there's always that one kid who's really good and everyone's like in the back trading Pokemon cards. But like at the same time, there's sort of that Asian American, Chinese American culture, which being part of it keeps you aware. So I was also introduced to like Taiwanese dramas right like Meteor Garden Lu and like I was becoming a hormonal like adolescent so I think like always liking stories um and then like starting to chase dramas like that's what kept me connected to the language but when I moved to Georgia and I would say like that was a giant culture shock I don't think I've like experienced any culture shock like that like you know middle school football and cheerleading like was a huge thing and my first like best friend was like very all-american and she's like oh if we want friends we need to like join the cheerleading squad so we like tried out together and there was also no chinese school at the time in augusta georgia or i was starting to build my college resume so the trips to china also stopped Uh, So I would say probably eighth grade to end of high school was kind of a desert in terms of like exposure to the Chinese language. I think my parents would still speak to me, um, mostly in Sichuanese, but I would respond in English, often monosyllabically (laughs) as a very surly teenager. Yeah, so the first time I went back to China was actually the summer right after high school. Do you remember the Wu Yao are Di And that was very close to where a lot of my family lived. I think like that was the first time I kind of like took interest in my family because we were like, oh my gosh, like some people were like actually really close to the epicenter. Um, no one immediate, uh, fortunately uh, died. But, you know, I had like organized this like art sale, bake sale to collect like funds. And I think I sort of just like, Jumped into, I want to learn more about China. I want to learn more about my family. Um, so that was kind of the start of the switchback.
1: What was the trigger to, that prompted you to relook at the language and relearn it as an adult?
0: Yeah, so I would say it really began that summer right before college. I spent almost three months, I think, between when my high school ended and when Duke began. In China with my family. And I can't remember who suggested it. I don't know if it was me or one of my relatives, but they're like, since you're here, like, you know, here's this Chinese tutor that you can (laughs) meet with, I don't know, like twice a week. And I think I was a little less defensive at age 18. um, And I was like, okay, it could be interesting. I think also Lord of the Rings something had come out that summer. And I was like, trying really hard to tell like my cooler older cousins about this movie and I was like uh the yuen chin on your shawl, <laughs> like the guo <laughs> wang and so it was they were like what are you talking about and I'm like wow this is not okay like so it was almost that reverse feeling of I got like really comfortable with English I did like you know high school debate and I was, like, pretty chatty, Um, and then, like, when it came to Chinese, I was just, like, whoa, Uh, (laughs) so I couldn't say anything, Um, so, so I think, like, that was also kind of the start of some intrinsic motivation of wanting to not look like an idiot, apparently, for my family, but so with this teacher I met up with, so she's the first one who kind of introduced, like, and like the logic behind Chinese characters and I was like this is so cool like I did not know any of this or I don't maybe they tried to teach it to me in Chinese school but like I don't remember it you know like all I remember was like having to memorize characters that you know bled together and look like ants crawling across the page but with this woman, um, I got like really interested in the stories behind Chinese characters. So I think like I've, I've always been kind of a story nut. Like if you can like pull me in, I'll like fixate on something. So I think like that summer, I probably crash learned 150 characters and like, you know, and I wrote like a (laughs) what the xia tian like essay, like the type of kindergartner would have written, but I was very proud of myself. Yeah, so my first semester at Duke, I signed up for my first uh, Mandarin Chinese class, and so I pretty much took a class every semester with the exception of junior year where I studied in France. There were a series of I don't know if I would call them coincidences, um, but events that like snowballed. There was a Duke study in China program that was very popular and it was actually co-hosted by like Emory and Cornell I think like a bunch of other universities, Yale. It was phenomenal like I think just being among like 120 other students many of them Chinese heritage like myself who are actually really passionate about um, the language and also drinking age is 18 in China. So there was like a lot of partying going on, which is fine. Um, But like the internship I got was actually with a arts-based organization in Beijing called Hua Dan. So they use theater and community theater to work with migrant women and migrant children. So I actually like really enjoyed my time with them. Um, So the subsequent two summers, I actually got funding um, from various, like, programs to go back to China to continue that kind of work, um, and my junior summer was actually with them for an entire summer. I also did, like, a semester senior year uh, related to my work with Hua Dun uh, that past summer. All of that sort of snowballed into my first job out of college. I had gotten this research fellowship called the heart fellowship it's out of the public policy school at duke um, so it's funded by sanford and i was able to go back to china and spend an entire year there all my co were chinese like it's just like a really good organization and i think just personally it was a very impactful experience for me but i think like that's kind of what cemented the what i want to do with my career has something to do with the arts and has something to do with chinese
1: so i know that you started with this project where you wrote or designed the 100 Mm -hmm. characters what inspired you to start panda cup stories was that the original project or it sort of like pivoted and evolved into what it is today
0: yeah so it definitely evolved there i guess are two origin stories for panda cup stories After I came back from China and was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, I first student taught at a Mandarin immersion uh, Montessori preschool in Boston, which was called Panda Cub Academy. So my first Panda Cubs were like my preschoolers. So like uh, my favorite part was always story time where they gather and I read them a picture book. Very rarely were the picture books in Mandarin. There were mostly English language picture books, and I was like translating on the fly. And when I left that like temporary job, I found myself really missing my students. So it started out as like one video letter where I told them the story of Shur Shinshal, the 12 zodiacs. And I had this little like purple bow on, and I was just like telling the story to the camera. Since then, I've try to do similar things. So I also taught part-time in Durham, North Carolina, which is where I was based as well. And so originally Panda Cup Stories was kind of a children's story, children's literature project, um, which is also like one of my passions. It's where like, it's what I went to grad school for. And so the 100 characters actually came into being because my program at Cambridge was actually very research focused. It was critical approaches to children's literature, which meant that we read a lot, um, did a lot of text analysis, and then half of it was empirical research. So we would work with actual kids and kind of look at how they responded and reacted to texts. So I I think like all the choices I'd made up to this point were like, I wanna do something Chinese-ish, and I also really like children's literature and drawing, but I was like very hesitant to call myself an artist. The 100 characters project started because I was like, all right, like I have not touched my paintbrush in like a year and a half really. And I was like, I need something that makes me paint every day. So like I hit upon this idea of doing hundred Chinese characters. Um, Cause I think I've like discovered Chinesey. It's a, another company that like does like character tiles and makes fun pictures based on them. And so like I had seen that I remembered uh, my early interest in like the history of Chinese characters. And I was like, okay, so this will be a personal project where I can like learn more about these characters that were still quite anxiety provoking in me because like even all throughout college, like when I'm faced with a block of Chinese text, my first like mental reaction is to panic or immediately, you know, put it into Google Translate. Even if like I look at it, I can read it. And so I was like, I wanted to break those down and really kind of start to appreciate them one by one that's what started the 100 character project and it actually morphed into my MPhil thesis so i also worked with a young student so he's british born chinese he was 9 at the time and so we kind of like gathered these 100 paintings into a longer book that was meant to teach chinese and throughout that process the character is panda well panda already existed but then a little hedgy sort of like popped into being like we just like do random doodles yeah and so they like started to formulate and take shape so like one of the early sketches i did was like us thinking about the book and then there was like a panda and hedgehog in our thought bubble but then they like popped the bubble and they escaped and so the idea is like what happens like after they escape So that was like basically the origin story of Panda Cub as a webcomic. What was
1: really interesting is clearly, you know, you have the educational background in children's literature and you have taught kids, but when I look at Panda Cub stories, it's just something that it resonates with me as an adult as well. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about children's literature and how is it that it's so transferable and it's so Mm -hmm. relevant for adult readers as well.
0: Great question. You've also hit on like the central debate in children's literature scholarship. Like what is kids lit? Does it even exist? Um, So I categorize the multiple competing theories, right? Into three buckets. And so one is like, it's literature intended for children. So it was made with a child audience in mind, which is most of what we think about children's literature there is another school of thought that is like children's literature is what children end up reading and liking which like could really overlaps a lot with definition one but you know there are certain stories like Peter Pan was not originally written for children it was like a play but then it's become a children's classic same with Lord of the Flies right and so I think In that sense children have a bit more agency than children's literature and then there's like a newer school of thought which is like children themselves have to produce the literature for it to be children's literature like you know all the other stuff is just like adults pretending to like write from a child mindset i don't quite buy into that but i do buy into the fact that there are a lot of like really great like kid produced content i really love about children's literature which is the intergenerationality of the medium so and i think like we're all aware of it like if you watch a pixar movie or i guess like disney movies now that are always like there's the main narrative for children but then there are also like jokes in there for the adults right or an overarching meaning that has meaning to us whether we are six or twelve or twenty so i think like that is probably the main reason why the comics resonate with hopefully kids as well as adults. I think Instagram tells me that most of my readers are between 18 to 36. <laughs> but I think, like, another lesson I've taken from children's literature is I'm very interested in word text interaction, right? And like how kids make sense of, especially picture books, by looking at both. This is actually like something that for children early on in the literacy, like acquisition phase, that's very helpful. So in terms of like reading and then looking around in the environment, match image or plot with text, those reinforcing each other um, is very conducive to like helping kids learn how to read. For Panda as a language comic, I wanted to mirror like the same method as I think Most of the time with adults, we don't find ourselves like sitting around reading Chinese picture books. And also like sometimes picture books are quite hard to read alone. So most picture books I would argue are not for children to read because the language is actually quite complex. It's always like for a parent or an older person sitting there reading and then interacting with the child. And so I think like with the comics, it's a more accepted or familiar like medium for adult readers. But I also wanted to kind of use the interplay of word and text to like guide people, including myself, towards the path of literacy.
1: Just sharing my own feeling whenever Panda Cup stories shows up on my feed Mm -hmm. is just something that it makes me happy. Yay. And I feel like <laughs> linking back to what we talk about in terms of like children's literature, and I'm wondering if it's sort of tapping into our inner child. We all have that in us somewhere. I feel like for the brief moment when I'm reading through the stories and looking at the illustrations it, it kind of just momentarily connects me back to that inner child of mine mm-hmm. so I'm wondering maybe that's why it resonates going back to the children's literature I think one of the things that I did when I saw your story of Chang'e immediately sent it to two of my really close friends one recently had had a son and then another mm-hmm. with a young daughter and they moved to Canada when they're very young so similar experiences, Mm -hmm. two of us. And my message to them was, Hey, you know, show this to your kids because Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of my friends who are ethnically Chinese, but currently living in Western countries, or maybe they themselves have over time lost touch with their own heritage or the language. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's, it's so important to also connect them back to the, their heritage and show them characters and stories that look like them. So, you know, when you think about the children's literature perspective, what is your vision in terms of the type of stories and type of content that you want to bring to, to children?
0: I think in part I'm writing these comics. It, it's funny that, you know, you talk about the inner child. Cause like, when I really think of it I was like, okay, like the panda cub basically is probably my inner child or my id, because like I would also like doodle pandas in my notebook when I was writing my thesis. And they'd be like, yeah, (laughs) y'all. I'd be like, okay. I hate this so much. For myself, like as a child and also as an adult, I have a very like monkey mind. And I feel like there's so much bombarding like us at once. And sometimes it feels like I can't focus on any certain thing. And so my partner is not Chinese. So sometimes I find myself like trying to explain a holiday to him or like, you know, searching my mind for a story, but then like it would kind of get jumbled up. Yeah. So like one point I mixed up two major holidays and it was like confidently explaining to him why we eat like chongs <laughs> on a festival. And I was like so embarrassed. And so, or the more story-based comics, they're basically like small story packet of the basic most core of The tradition and the story, like as well researched as I can make it, but like also kind of tied into a narrative that would make it easy to remember. That's something that I really enjoy, like as an adult myself, but I think like is also like. Good for like people who love stories and that includes children. So the further I get into creating, like the further I sort of agree with Maurice Sendak's uh, sentiment. So he's the one who wrote um, Where the Wild Things Are. Like he's very, very established children's book author. He's also like super grumpy in interviews. He said once that he was like, I don't write books for children. I write books. And then children happen to read them. That's kind of like what I feel as well. At the end of the day, like I want to create something that, like you said, sparks joy. Like I'm so happy that that's a reaction you had. Yeah, I think like in my experience, a lot of the times like learning Chinese has provoked either dread or like a sense of I should do this, but I don't want to, or I should do this, but I don't have time, and. I kind of wanted to associate it with something positive that you're looking forward to. It might not be, you know, a complete curriculum, but it'll be a companion there for you as you travel along your journey.
1: When it comes to the medium to reach kids, have you thought Mm -hmm. of potentially compiling the stories, maybe they're, you know, retelling a heritage or a myth or a legend and compiling them into, into a physical book? to reach little kids. What are your plans when it comes to Mm -hmm. uh, targeting and reaching kids as your audience? So that's
0: exactly like what I hope to be able to do. When you peel back the layers, my dream is still to be like a published author. Yeah, so like for the traditions and folk tales and legends of China, like I very much want to do a collection. So maybe once i'm done collecting and making them which hopefully i'll be able to do that by next year it'll be something that i do submit to a literary agent and hopefully like be able to bring that into people's hands i guess like secretly in the back of my mind and i guess i'm telling you so it's not secret Is as like by the time i have children so i'm 30 right now I want to be able to have a book in my hand to be able to read it with them. And since a lot of my followers are my age or younger, I do it in time for me when I have kids, then it'll be there for them when they have kids as well. So, so that's definitely the dream. And then I'm also working on like on the literacy end. That's the current book proposal that I'm working on, sort of like a Chinese starter pack. I need to come up with a better name but i might include you know some of the traditions um the history of chinese characters and either like teach the first 50 or 100 characters in that initial ebook so that is something that i'm currently working on and so those are kind of like the two main plans
1: i noticed you have this mix of english uh, and chinese right so it's very Mm -hmm. bilingual And I thought that's quite interesting because I think for a lot of us, you know, you and me, I'm sure many of our listeners, we grew up in this bilingual environment. Mm -hmm. But the content that we consume these days are still mostly monolingual.
0: For the language learning comics, it will definitely be bilingual, but not like an AA track. So for a lot of the language specific comics, it'll be English and then I'll sprinkle like, vocabulary in um, and those will be like the vocabulary that's reviewed from a previous character post and so the ultimate vision for that is to start with mostly English with like 10% Chinese and then gradually as you read to transition to like 30% 40% and then by the time like you're done with a volume it should be 100% Chinese and so like it's not an original idea it takes from like language, uh, sorry, the inductive like language learning acquisition model. I haven't quite thought through what the bilingual children's books will look like. I feel like for very beautifully crafted picture books that are very engaging, like the text is placed very strategically along with the pictures. And so to have two lines of text with probably pinging. I haven't tried it yet, but like in my mind, I was like, I don't know if that would look right. But there might be, you know, a way to get around that design perspective. Yeah, so like one option would just be to publish books in single languages to have like a Chinese version and an English version. Another would be to have both texts there present, which in the book recommendations, I'll tell you is what happens. And then the third would be, you know, similar to how Chang'e story works, right? Like most of it is in English, but then there are like Chinese bits sprinkled in with like the pinyin as a, like a footnote or whatnot, or the translanguaging being like a point of humor, right? So for those, it would probably be for older kids, but that could be actually really cool. So it's kind of, if you're reading the book completely proficient in both languages, It's like almost you have a secret like reading experience because you'll get to experience the inside jokes and like all whatnot. But if you're reading it as a monolingual reader, you'll still understand it and enjoy it. I would love for the books to be reread and like for people to pick up like new exciting things.
1: I can totally imagine that because even recently I, I kind of started rewatching some of the shows that I grew up watching like COT mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and Huluwa. Yeah. And you know I have all these fond memories associated with these series but watching back I noticed things that I did not notice even though I've watched them so many times growing up. Yeah. So when you talk about rereading, I think it's almost like there's so many different layers to a story that when you read it back at different point in your life, you have different realization or you notice different, you have different takeaways.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, and especially for like language focused books, like my hope is the rereading is enjoyable as opposed to like, oh, I have to like read through this section of a textbook again. So making like the review and revision um, process. Yeah, a little bit more like you look forward to it instead of like roll your eyes at it.
1: I'm curious, um, you know, as an artist and also as a writer, Have you gone through periods where trying to find your voice or trying to find your style through the past few years of you starting Panda Cup Stories?
0: Absolutely. So I took maybe it was like a three to four month break in mid-2019 because I completely burnt out. I was not enjoying what I was doing anymore. And then also feeling guilty because I was like, but what I'm doing is like drawing and making picture books for my students. I think I'm very multifaceted and multi-interested as an artist and also as a researcher, right? So I'm very interested in like looking up the stories behind the stories. And as an artist, I want to make picture books. So I would make them by hand and like do simple animation and put them up on YouTube. And then I was also interested in audio production. So I had a podcast for a year. I really liked reading YA, right, Um, young adult. And I was interested in kind of creating my own story based on a Chinese legend. So I wrote like a 20,000 word novella about like a Chinese mermaid. All of it, I was working on it kind of piecemeal, but, never quite getting there so like my partner was just like just submit it to an agent like you've been doing this for like two and a half years but I was like no like it's not good enough like it's not work I'd be proud to see like published and so I think like also working as a solo artist who's starting out trying to find her voice and not being in a community because my career thus far, like my coworkers who are lovely, but they're educational administrators or like, or children's book scholars, like it wasn't an artistic community. So I was kind of working by myself in my apartment, kind of in a vacuum. And so it was really hard not getting any feedback. And then the only feedback is from social media. And sometimes that feedback is like, you spend 20 hours working on this thing and like 13 people like your post. And then you're like, oh no, like, is this horrible? It's definitely not a viable career path. So I sort of decided to pause, sort of take a deep breath physically as well as metaphorically and think about why it was I started in the first place and what was I doing out of fear? And like, what is it that I wanted to do going forward with the knowledge that like, I couldn't do like 50 hours, like a week on this, because I had to still make a living. So I think like the pivot, and the transformation came from recognizing and accepting that I am both imperfect as, you know, an artist, and also as Chinese learner slash teacher. So I think like one of my secret fears would be like someone come along and like point out that like my Chinese isn't actually like perfect and I can't read a novel without like looking at the dictionary multiple times and some of my grammar is wrong because while I'm very confident in being able to teach preschoolers and like work in that environment, I'm not comfortable like teaching adults learners right like in terms of charging money and being a tutor because I'm not at the end of the day a native speaker and then like on the storytelling end I don't really know much about novel writing and I also am not like a legit like Chinese scholar right and so I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome that I was trying to address before by working on too much stuff at once. So I wouldn't have time to think about the imposter syndrome I was feeling. So I think with the webcomic, I decided to, instead of writing for children, which like I'm still writing for children, but I think before my mindset was like, I'm the expert and I will teach you like everything there is to know about Chinese etymology. Right. Which was kind of the mindset I had for the 100 characters painting. And I think now with the webcomic, it's very much, I'm drawing comics about what I'm learning myself. So right now for the characters, they're a little bit more basic than what I already know, but like being able to revisit them and build it up systematically, which like eventually I would like to have like a systematic literacy curriculum with these comics. It's very much like tried and true by me and then sharing it with other people who also brings value to. For the comics, my illustration style has been very all over the place. I'd have like the watercolor paintings for the characters. I would have like very detailed like colored pencil drawings. And I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, but I did know that those things took a really long time. So if I wanted to tell a story in that way, like it'd be a month and I would have one story if I worked really, really hard. Like I had always liked to doodle. I never took those seriously. I would like make little doodle letters I'd send to my friends and family. So I've been kind of cartooning for myself for years but I think like with Panda Cup Stories, it was the first time that I was like, oh, like maybe this can also be like the style that I try. And I love reading webcomics and webtoons. Yeah. So I tried it and it sort of took off. <laughs> so
1: I really identify with how you describe it as you are learning along with your reader through mm-hmm. those webcomics. Because even for culture gen, we're not cultural experts but I think we're passionate and we're fascinated when we learn so we want to share it with other people maybe that's why I saw that authenticity in your webcomic mm-hmm. series it's that genuinely sharing your own personal experience your personal interpretation with your audience I wanted to chat a little bit about your community your audience people mm-hmm. that have grew with you talk a little bit about that community that you've built and how that community has propel you to doing more or you know sort of growing as a webcomic?
0: There are probably three buckets of audience. The first exactly like what you were talking about are both heritage speakers as well as people within you know the diaspora who are following because they're like oh like this is a good way to reconnect with our culture or our language um, and I'm learning from them a lot too. So there was one person who was like you know, I love your comics, but I would love to see more representation of the diaspora, right? So like Chinese can mean a lot of things. It's not just Mandarin, right? There are other dialects and other countries, right? Who share a lot of these traditions. So I've been trying to be a bit more mindful about that, like not framing my stories as, you know, this is representative of China as a whole, but um, more my perspective. And then there are, people who are also creatives. So a lot of them are web comics, but you know, some of them are musicians. There is a account I just followed that's amazing. He has a cooking YouTube channel. It's very new and it's also inspired by like anime. So his like editing is very like anime, it's called Poppe. And so I think like for these creators, I don't know. It's just like it's very energizing to see their content, kind of communicate with them on social media. Like we live in different places, but it sort of feels very much like we're building a creative ecosystem. And then the third bucket are Chinese language students. So everyone ranging from total beginner to So the young woman who did the footage for my Kickstarter video is actually a sophomore here in New York. And she is, I think, like in Mandarin four, like in her high school. So quite advanced, but she and her classmates, uh, she told me, have been reading Panda for a while. So I think for them, it's probably similar to the like spark of like Happiness and joy since they're studying Chinese. And I think like some of those students are also Chinese heritage or also part of the diaspora, similar to myself in college. I learn a lot from what they react to as well as, I mean, some people will literally tell me what they want in the comments, which is very helpful. Yeah, so I think, like I'm very grateful for the community that has grown around Panda and, It's overwhelmingly positive, like there are the odd negative, sometimes very trolly comments, racist comments, but like they're very few and far between. And, you know, sometimes there are comments that aren't positive, but they provide a platform for a discussion. I think like those are very valuable as well.
1: Tell us about what's next for Panda Cups. I know you're launching a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, So tell us a little bit about that campaign and then also you as an individual, there's so many things you're interested in and you've dabbled in. What is your ultimate vision? I
0: think like Panda and me are in it for the long haul. I hope this is what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. I think at the heart of it, Panda Cub stories as stories about Chinese culture and art. I think like whatever I end up doing in the future, it'll come back to learning Chinese, be it Chinese language or Chinese culture, one comic at a time. So the Kickstarter is actually of the 100 Characters Project, birthplace of the Panda Cub. So the Kickstarter is to raise funds for my home print shop and also print like a first print run of like very super large versions of the poster. And so for the poster shop, that's like the first leg hopefully of my business. And I want to create pieces that similar to the comics, like when you see them, like you brighten and you're motivated and you're reminded of how like beautiful the language is. So the poster like I have on my wall and I look at it before going, like sitting down to work. Hopefully it's su- successfully funded. I'll start creating other, like more panic Cup story style, like posters. So like maybe the, measure words I have like a measure words poster but like all cats so I might flush that out more with all of the basic measure words yeah and like maybe at some point like radicals so so that's like one leg the second leg is I'm working on making an ebook of all the basic, like, language and character posts. It's the book proposal I'm sending to the agent, my agent, at the end of the month. But I'm also hoping to have an e-version of that ready to launch by Thanksgiving, <laughs> Black Friday. So <laughs> I'm going to be drawing a lot in the next three weeks. And I'm hoping that that will be, like, the first of the series, right? So there'll be, like, the starter pack and then, like, maybe levels two and three and eventually taking readers to... HSK-6, because that's where I want to be. Alongside that, I'm hoping to make the print books a reality, although I'd likely be working with a publisher for that instead of trying to like find a vendor like on my own and print, because I'm learning that there is a lot in setting up a business and running, right? Like what was previously a, like a passion art project as something that is sustainable. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, thank you so much, Linda, for sharing with us your journey. I feel very energized and very inspired. Part of what we want to do through this series of Shades of Yellow is to showcase and to feature inspiring individuals like you who have dedicated to sharing and promoting Chinese culture around the world, even though It's not always easy. It's not always something Mm -hmm. that is naturally or or conventionally celebrated as a career. I think it's also to inspire and to to let people know that we value work like that. And we need more people that are courageous in taking the leap of faith into doing something they're passionate about and to Mm -hmm. inspire more people, both within the Chinese community, but also beyond that. So Mm -hmm. really, really appreciate you sharing with us your story and I'm certainly looking forward to more of your amazing work.
0: Thank you, Summer. It was a pleasure talking to you. I feel very energized as well.
1: Thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining us in this journey to build a global Chinese diaspora community one conversation at a time. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and you can also follow us on Instagram at CultureGen. That's where we post daily Chinese artistic and cultural content to inspire our modern living. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care!